Tom Bernard Show with Andy Rand Bernard and Mike Molina. And we'll be right back. Kickoff part three. Hour three. Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to Walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. Back, Tom Bernard Show, ladies and gentlemen. So, what'd you think of that? I thought I thought Eric made some great points, and I just like the fact that it's not oh, it's this guy's fault, it's that guy's fault. I grew up poor, and the world is horrible, yeah. and I hate everybody. Well, he, his dad, was in his life, which is still that's the big I mean, difference. Isn't yeah, it? it's a, it makes a big difference. Even if your parents aren't together, just still having two parents is. Uh, very important. Yeah, no doubt about it. Which no one talks about that for some reason. Even I, though everyone's all uh, worried about school shooters and you know mass murderers all right. over the place. Um, the one thing almost all of them have in common is that they grew up without a dad. But the no one ever talks school about school shooters. Yeah, almost all of them. See, there you go. But no one ever brings that point up when it's something that could be solved pretty easily. By, you know, not incentivizing uh, single-parent uh, families. Right. Well, that, that would be, be That's good. a huge one. That would be good. And, you know, better birth control, that kind of, Well, I mean, birth control is... It's available. It's free. It's everywhere. But, I mean, you can't stop people from making bad decisions. So what well, do you do about that. that? So is there a certain period... Because obviously my dad was in my life till I was 10 years old, but he really wasn't because I 
I mean, I never talked to him. I hardly ever saw him, and I never talked to him. So even though he was in my life, and then once I was 10, they hauled him off, and then mm. he came back for a short time. I think the teenage years is a big one, because that's when teenagers... Yeah. Uh, kids, when they hit puberty, they often become a lot more, you know, violent and unpredictable, and uh, they need someone to stop them from being like that when they're adults. Right. So the fact that Eric Bigger Jr., because Eric is a junior, the fact that Eric Bigger Sr. was in his life, even though he didn't live with him, he was still in his life, and you know, it still matters a lot. It matters a lot just because you're, it shows your father cares for you. Yep. And no. uh, I think something like. Forty percent of children are born out of wedlock now. Forty uh, percent? It's some huge, insane Good number. Good God! Yeah, I mean, I think having your father. Yeah, back in the day when I was a kid, once in a while you would hear a father tell tell their kids that he loved them, but it was extremely rare because telling telling your kids you loved them was like a sign of weakness back then for some reason. I don't know why. But some fathers did. Not a whole lot of them did. But a lot of them supported their kids. Uh, pretty much all of my friends' fathers were very supportive of them. They were, they were around and all the rest of it. Yeah, here we go. One in three children live without a father in the U.S. One in three. That's insane. Now, remember, it was back in the mid-60s when, in order to collect welfare, the father could not be present in the house. In 1960, that number was one in five. So it's gone up from 11% to 33%. So it's tripled in the past uh, 50 years. Yeah, you can't be driving. You can't say, oh, we can't give you any benefits if the father's still in the house. So what you did basically is incentivize incentivize fathers to desert their families. Makes makes no sense. I've never understood that. But that's interesting you bring that up, though, the fact that Eric Bigger's father was in his life, didn't live with him. As soon as he said that, I was like, oh, no wonder. Yeah. I mean, exactly it's not it. a guaranteed thing because obviously, you know, one in three children doesn't grow up to be a murderer. No. But that's it's still the uh, average person who is, you know, likely to become a murderer mm-hmm. is also – they also tend to have no dad. That's just the correlation there. That's just how it is. That's yep. amazing. <clears throat> and um, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a biological thing. It's just like, you know, you – if you don't see a dad, your brain just doesn't grow right or something or, you know, right. or if it's something that they can teach moms to uh, compensate I don't for, think who so. knows. I don't I think it, boys need their mothers, there's no doubt about that. I think boys need their mothers and girls need their fathers and it'd be really good if the father was there for everyone. So I don't know about that whole situation. I will tell you, and I've talked about this many, many times before. My mother worked her ass off. My older sisters really helped. My oldest brother was in the Marine Corps for five years, so he wasn't he wasn't there. He was in you know Vietnam or whatever. And um, the thing about that was that some of the neighborhood fathers that I've talked about before stepped up and really helped me out by telling me, "Hey, you're a good kid. We're very fond of you in our family, and we love it when you come over to our house." That was really nice of them to do, especially back then, 50 years ago. It was not all that common, but uh, the fathers in my neighborhood in North Minneapolis really did a nice job with that. And I think it's necessary. I mean, did you ever get any of that, Mike? No, unfortunately, no. My mom uh, stepped in as much as she could because, like your mom, she worked yeah. all the time to uh, afford a house and Catholic tuition. So, 
Uh, I you will had say, to play Catholic tuition. Yeah, I will say personally though, it's kind of funny because in a way you uh, you grow up a lot faster than you know the kids who had both parents because uh, mm-hmm. you know for me being the oldest, I had to look after my two younger brothers. So the um, right and that, you know my dad left when I was eight, so it was a uh, uh, an eye opener. Because my mom, like I said, was working all the time, so you got to grow up fast. And I will say personally, you kind of grow up with that chip on your shoulder. And uh, my mom was a really proud woman, so she did not want any handouts. Like, we never applied for right. tuition assistance right. or food stamps or anything. I mean, she just worked her ass off. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah, I was just like, man, I, I admire my mom every day. I mean, I think about her every day as well. And I was like, you know, mm-hmm. not only did she fill the role of mom – but also dad, so. But Andy does have a point in that you and I both have anger problems. Yeah. There's yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, we do. Yep. We have anger problems. And, <laughs> and I don't know if that's, I wonder if that's a discipline thing. Uh, Although oh. you never really were like the disciplinarian in the family. No. For Alex or me, so I don't know. No. I think it's just like for some reason humans are wired. So if they don't have a father for whatever reason... They're just more likely, or is it because people who are genetically more likely to be violent are more likely to abandon their kids? That's another possibility. Well, it is a possibility. Yeah, what, was your father? You remember by the time you were eight years old, I was ten. You were eight. Was your father violent? Uh yeah, yeah. He, uh, wow, he had a yeah, temper. There you go. I mean, and that was the thing is also he had a background. He was a amateur boxer, so it was like he. I remember the first yeah, time I saw my let, dad. Beat up somebody. I mean, he knew what he was doing. It wasn't yeah, his first ever done a study, a study of that where they compare, you know, yeah. like uh, fathers who deserted their family versus, you know, like died when their child was very young or something like that. How that affects things. That would be an well, interesting thing to see if that does change the outcome. It does change the outcome because you you take it very personally. Well, yeah, that's true. Because you go, well, oh, apparently. I wasn't good enough to to hang in there for. Yeah, I suppose that could that also yeah, yeah yep, make you one more do. likely to. Yeah, that could also make someone more likely to feel like, well, if the world doesn't care about me, then you know, yeah, kill yeah. them all. Well, and, and that that is the whole problem. If you get enough beatings and you get enough, uh, yeah, uh, with yeah. the abandonment and all the rest of it, because you are convinced if. My dad really loved me. He would never have left. Yep. You do yeah. talk yourself into. Oh that. yeah, and you yeah. think that there's something wrong with you. Like I will yep. say, you you put blame on yourself. Well, there is something wrong with you, but I mean that's <laughs> got nothing to do with it. Yeah, you know, it's just a different setup. It's interesting uh, because fatherless children are more likely to hate the world, but motherless children are more likely to hate themselves. Really? Yeah. Oh. So it's there's a very big uh, there's like a web of psychology that we don't really get, and I think that's going to be like the point where we finally fix uh, widespread societal violence. Do you think that's why a lot of people? Would you say one out of three children now is fatherless? Uh, yes, and one out, one out of thirty is motherless. And one out of thirty is motherless, but one out of three being fatherless. Do you it's think that's why people love to blame their problems on everybody else and I I hate you because you don't agree with me? I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't either. Yeah. I think that's a very, very important point. If, like, they're, if they're more likely to hate people enough to you know shoot a bunch of people at random, then they're yeah. also logically more likely to hate people enough to just decide that they don't uh, you know have anything good to say. Right. 
or that they're they think the things that they do because they hate them personally, which a lot of people do think, even though it makes no sense. It's like you'll hear people thinking like, oh, well, the only reason they don't believe in abortion is because they hate women or something like that. Right. Which, you know, is kind of an absurd position, but it's also a very popular one just because people, uh, I don't know. They, they think that because they don't understand why someone would have a religious motivation for that, then then all religion is like, you know, it's it's all fake and it's all an excuse to mm-hmm. hate that person specifically. And it's yeah, it's a very weird victim complex that people get. The whole thing is, is weird to me. But that, that's interesting that you, you picked up on that, Andy, because Eric Bigger kept talking about the fact that he came from a broken home, but his mother and father both, you know, helped him out. They didn't really maybe support him as much emotionally as he would have liked, but they did enough. Yeah. So, so there, there must be a point where if you do support your child enough, mm-hmm. they won't go off the deep end. I think for a lot of people, it's just as long as they, you know, exist and are nearby, that's really all they need. But also, if you, yeah, if you, you have a parent, right. the other parent that stays, like in this case, your mm-hmm. mom, Tom, and my mom, if that person mm-hmm. is very, very strong like our mothers were... I mean, it definitely can help shape, you know, any kid because I think my mom was so proud, even though dad left and, yeah, it was an embarrassment, especially being a Roman Catholic um, and not getting divorced, just having the dad leave or the husband in this case, too. But uh, she never took pity on herself or looked for a handout. I mean, she was a very proud woman. And, uh, you know, that transcended down to me and my brothers and. You know, we never looked at it as like, oh, we're the victims or, you know, had a handout. I mean, you just uh, you picked yourself up, dusted yourself off and went about your day and did what you had to do. But you still know that it was extremely hard for your mother and my mother to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Very oh, hard. No doubt about it. I do remember my father who grew up a Baptist and married my mother, who was a Roman Catholic and then converted to Roman Catholicism, but never really did it. It was all fake. Uh I used to hear him bitching about the Catholic Church constantly. Well, if your wife's Catholic, and more importantly, if all seven of your kids are Catholic, maybe you shouldn't badmouth religion yeah. in front of you know little five-year-olds. Yeah, just think about that. You know, it's just it seemed very selfish to me. The kids are very; they take everything at face value. So, yeah, I mean, if you tell a kid that, you know, if you spin around three times, then you can fly, they'll believe you. Because they don't have any reference point. They'll believe literally anything their parents tell them. So, you know, if their parents tell them, you know, well, uh, the world doesn't like you enough, so, you know, just go screw everybody else over, then they're going to be like, okay, I will. You know, this probably won't sound funny to everybody else, but I do remember when I was still probably in my my mid-20s, something like that, we were out having a few cocktails, not cocktails, but glasses of wine, having a good time and all the rest of it. And I was introduced to this guy, and I could just tell he was a cocky guy. He just So right away, I wasn't really <laughs> fond of him yep. anyway. He's just too cocky for me. And I will never forget this. So I was several glasses of wine into it. And I said, so, so uh, do you have any kids? And he goes, not that I know of. I threatened to kill him. Yeah, nope. not a good idea. <laughs> I 
I literally said, I will kill you. Well, especially in North Minneapolis, it's like how many kids didn't have dads over there? Exactly. And then he's bragging about like, oh, I'm one of them. So yeah, I might have kids that I abandoned. I don't know. I might have. Yeah, that's real funny, pal. That's yeah, I'm really... a great target for projection, Mr. Dunk <laughs> guy. Yeah, <that's laughs> smart. <laughs> yep. Some people, they really that. do. Yeah, they just don't care. I would have reacted they the don't. same way, Tom. Yep, that's... Well, yeah, it's not funny. No. Oh, you have abandoned children. Good. Yeah, that's hilarious. That's about as funny a thing as I've ever heard in my entire life, that you may have or may not have abandoned children. Yeah, that's funny. Now we're talking. I worked with someone who had kids with a guy who had, like, six or seven kids with other women. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't understand that one either. I don't understand why they, they carry on the legacy. Yeah. Makes no sense to me. So congratulations to Eric Bigger. Again, it's uh, Bigger Talk is the name of his podcast. Tune in because he's a young guy. He's a smart guy. And uh, he's very wise, too. He just He's very positive. It's not blaming, oh, this is your fault, and I hate you because of this, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm here to tell you, West Baltimore is not the best place to grow up Well, like you the said, The Wire. It's on Hulu, I think. It is, yeah. So if you want to see uh, see how it is, then, yeah. That's where he grew up. That's not exactly fun. right. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost weight loss plan. I've started up another round at the new Nutramost Plymouth location. And those unwanted pounds, they're going fast. Unlike any other weight loss program, Nutramost is so easy. And they guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutramost has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Nutramost of Plymouth is hosting a free informational dinner where you too can learn how to have success losing weight just like me. Neil Sheehy, Nutramost client and owner who played nine years in the NHL and is an agent to some of the NHL's current top players, will be at the dinner. It's Tuesday, April 3rd, 6 p.m. at Jake's City Grill in Plymouth, located around the corner from Nutramost, just off Highway 55 and 494. Space is limited, so call 763-333-7337 now to register. That's 763-333-7337. Lovers, they may cause you tears. Go ahead, release your fears. Stand up and be counted. Don't be ashamed to cry. You gotta be... You gotta be bad, you gotta be bold, you gotta be wiser You gotta be hard, you gotta be tough, you gotta be stronger You gotta be cool, you gotta be calm. What are you trying to depress me? I haven't heard no. of this song in like 15 years It is a good song, it is a really good song actually No getting around that From anybody else it might have Past is just a stupid and ugly comment from the sister of a racist mass shooter. It was seen as highly disturbing. Dylan Roof? Morgan Roof, younger yeah. sister of convicted killer Dylan Roof, was taken into custody on drug and weapon charges Wednesday 
after posting on Snapchat about National Walkout Day at her South Carolina high school, the state reports. You're walking out for the allowed time of 17 minutes. They are letting you do this. Nothing is going to change. What TF you think is going to to do? She said of the protest against gun violence, I hope it's a trap and you all get shot. We know it's fixing to be nothing but black people walking out anyway. Uh-oh. So Morgan's going to be in prison one day. Yeah, that uh, family sounds like they came up pretty even keel. You know what I'm saying. I mean, well, I was going to say she has to know she's on some sort of watch list or something, but God, I, would hope I, don't, so. I don't think she does know that. I don't think she knows a lot. Roof, an 18-year-old student at AC Flora High School in Richland County, was arrested after a school resource officer was told she was carrying marijuana, a knife, and pepper spray. She was given a $5,000 bond on charges of simple possession of marijuana and two counts of carrying weapons on school grounds. Under bond conditions, Roof, whose older brother murdered nine black parishioners at a Charleston church in 2015, is banned from returning to the school. Richland County Sheriff Leon Lott praised school administrators for avoiding a potential tragedy. Again, she posted, I hope it's a trap and y'all get shot, and we know it's fixing to be nothing but black people walking out anyway. So apparently they had some really good parenting in that family. Yeah, uh, yeah there's another. Jeez. Jesus. I wonder, was he, uh, was who, what? Was he in that situation as oh, well? Oh, dad was long gone? Yeah. I'm, I wouldn't doubt it. If, if not, dad sounds like he was a white supremacist, obviously. Yeah. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to find out, though, if he if a father was present in that house, Dylan Roof. Because if he if he was indeed present, then he's the one that taught him all that garbage. And he was only twenty one when he did that. I know he's twenty one, and she's nine. She's eighteen. Mm-hmm. Good God. Let's see. Uh, it's yes, I think. So the father was not present. He was born to Franklin Bennett Roof, a carpenter and construction worker. His parents divorced but were reconciled, hmm. and then his dad married someone else. Oh, so his dad was gone. But was... No, he was there, but he was abusive, which oh. is basically the same effect as not being there at all. So it was totally abusive. Yes, so, so abusive violent... fathers are another yeah, another way to... Well, abusive parents in general. So, so violence is the answer to everything. Yeah, that's something I don't get. I mean, you grew up seeing how bad violence is, but then you grow up and you're like, I think I'll do some of that. It doesn't make sense. It makes no sense that you would carry that on. But they do it. And I don't know why they do it, because, uh, you know, Melina, you're not married yet. You don't have any kids. But the last thing I would have done was beat up on you and Alex, because I know what it felt like. That's what I don't understand. You know what it feels like. Why would you do that to someone else? I don't think a lot of people think that far in. They're just, you know, they're mad and they're going to take yeah. it out on the world. I, I guess I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, yeah, so it happened to me and it felt horrible, so I'll do it to someone else. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes complete sense. Let's, if new protocols are, Oh, were you going to say something? No, more? I was going to just say that. You almost wondered if they think, you know, because they were so traumatized at such a young age that that is acceptable behavior and that's the way it is so that... Yeah, you know, hey, I'm just the way the world is. Yeah, yeah, you gotta know that. Yeah, and by the way, God did pay me back. Whether there's a God or not, God paid me back because I remember the only two people in the family that my father hit were me and my older sister Bobby. He didn't hit anybody else, and I don't know. 
uh, what that was all about. But I remember one time when I was about probably five, uh, my father slapped my sister Bobby, and she started crying. And I don't know why I did this. I guess I was really uncomfortable or whatever. But I went in and started laughing the fact that she at her because she was crying about this. But while I was laughing at her, and I don't know why I would have done this, I stuck a butter knife into an outlet. <laughs> I guess I did about five somersaults when the electricity shot through that metal knife into my five-year-old. I'm lucky you didn't kill me. That's an odd reaction. Good God. And I have no idea why I would have done uh. that. But it did cheer her up because then she started laughing. <laughs> she thought it was pretty. Um, I honestly, I remember going ass over tea kettle. When that, when that electricity hit me, it was like, whoa. And I didn't understand what the hell had happened to me. I don't know. I, was, I guess I wasn't old enough to understand that whole situation. I hadn't figured out, oh, that's why lights light up, because there's a current that flows. Oh. God. I do remember it. I can, remember, I can picture myself in that room that day, and that was a long time ago. If new protocols are successfully developed and the change isn't blocked by court challenges, one of Oklahoma's 49 condemned inmates will soon become the first person in the United States legally executed with nitrogen gas. They should have been doing that a long time ago. So what's that all about, Andy? Uh, You just... Well, it's suffocation, but... The way the... When people uh, suffocate, and, you know, it's unpleasant, obviously... Mm -hmm. It's not because of lack of oxygen. It's because of too much carbon dioxide. Yes. Uh, so, like, when people drown, it's because the carbon dioxide in their blood goes up because, you know, they can't expel it. Mm-hmm. But with nitrogen, there's no carbon dioxide being made because there's no oxygen. So you just kind of, you don't even know it's happening until you've fainted and, you know, at that point you're dead. So you just kind of, you don't you don't even feel it coming, you just die. Yep. They've been using that for chickens, I think, for a long time. Well, the state which started exploring the use of the inert gas after a botched lethal injection in 2004 halted executions, said it has made nitrogen inhalation its primary method of execution and will be using the gas when executions resume, the BBC reports. State Attorney General Mike Hunter announced the change Wednesday, saying nitrogen is easy to obtain, causes a painless death, and requires no complex medical procedures no other state uses the method. Dale Bache, a lawyer for Oklahoma inmates challenging execution protocols, called for total transparency from the state. This method has never been used before. Well, that's not true. You said it's used in other countries. No, I said it was used on chickens. Oh, I thought it was used in other countries, though, for execution. I don't know. Oh, I okay. mean, I do know that people have been using it to kill themselves a lot. Right, yes. And, you know, it's reputed to be the uh, best way to go about best it. Best way to go out. So, I mean, yeah, can't be that bad, can it? This method has never been used before and is experimental, he said, per Washington Post. Once uh, Oklahoma is once again asking us to trust it as officials learn on the job through a new execution procedure. Nitrogen execution will involve placing a mask over a person's nose and mouth to flood their lungs with nitrogen, causing them to die from lack of oxygen in a death that Slate notes could be mildly euphoric, 
similar to raptures experienced by deep-sea divers low on oxygen. Well, that wouldn't be the worst way to be executed. You get mildly euphoric, and then you die. Yeah, I mean, lethal injection makes sense, but people kept screwing it up somehow, which I don't even know how it's an injection. It's like, you know, just uh, you put the needle in there. It's not that hard. Don't you have to – aren't there like four or five plungers that you have to push? There are multiple injections because – if you just went straight for the lethal one, then they'd be awake for their heart stopping. Yeah. And that's considered cruel. So yeah, they you, they that. start with one that knocks them out, and then they give them one that I think it either paralyzes their heart or lungs. Either way, if they're awake for it, then, yeah, it's not a fun experience. But I don't get why they don't just do it like vets do and overdose them on some opiate or something. One of our listeners just texted me, just put a bullet in their head. (laughs) They have that option in some states. Yeah, they do. They do indeed. See, to kind of switch up now just to, uh, you know, we've had some very touching stories today, some uplifting stories, Uh, talking to Tony Price about goldstarride.org, really helping out people who really need our help. It's going to be fantastic. Get that thing up and running, as, as you know. We support law enforcement and the military and actually all the first responders, firefighters. And I consider first responders to include, obviously, EMTs, but, you know, teachers as well. Good teachers. Like I said, I never had one, but maybe you have. (laughs) So (laughs) it gets a little too negative. I just have always had, I guess it's because of my dad that I have always had this anti-authority thing in my life and I can't get rid of it. Honestly, I don't know what the hell it is, but it's got to be that. I don't know what else it would be. Everyone I know who grew up without a dad has the same thing. Anti-authority. And your dad is the first authority figure in your life, generally. That's exactly right. And And I really hated my grandfathers. They were both complete pricks. So, what does that tell you? Huh? Yep. Get away from me with your authority. I don't want to hear any of it. So we'll change the subject to this is the world's happiest country. Which do you think is the world's happiest country? Denmark. Uh, okay. That's well, it depends good. on their uh, – how do they measure happiness? Because I do remember a long time ago I read a study mm-hmm. where it turns out the happier countries were like Ghana. Ghana? Because okay. they had literally – like no obligations ever. Well, they just did true. whatever they wanted all day as long as it's they had It's got to be somewhere food. in Scandinavia. <laughs> Scandinavia has got to be it somewhere. I'll go Denmark. But All right. The United States is at its unhappiest level since the annual World Happiness Report was first released in 2012. <laughs> this year, the U.S. became number 18 down four spots from last year. Joe from Louisville That's guessed Sweden. Really surprising. We were in 14th place yet last year. Yeah, hard to believe. And that's, yeah, when everyone was panicking about how Trump was going to end the world. That's Everybody hates everybody now. I guess the whole world is unhappy then. The report was released Wednesday by the Sustainable Development Solutions Network, an initiative of the United Nations, in advance of the UN's International Day of Happiness, which is just five days away. March 20th is World, in, well, it's International, the UN's International Day of Happiness, March 20th. It ranks 156 countries by their happiness levels, taking into account six factors GDP per capita. Okay, so it's not going to include Ghana. Social support. Health, healthy life expectancy, social freedom, generosity, and absence of corruption. Good luck to you. <laughs> this is basically just the HDI, then. It's the what? Uh, the HDI. 
Human Development Index, which has been around forever. It basically, yeah, it measures how developed a country is based on wealth and that all that kind of stuff that you just mentioned. So in that case, then, yes, it's going to be probably Norway. All right. We've got Sweden, Norway, and Denmark so far are the guesses. Income is the biggest variable, but an economist who co-edited the list notes that a sense of belonging and other societal factors also play major roles. See, the sense of belonging, instead of hating one another, you should talk to one another and say, hey, here's the deal. Well, Sweden's actually having a big problem there right now. They are, because of immigration. Yeah, there's a massive immigration flood into the country, and they're having a hard time dealing with it. They have a huge problem. But Norway, I don't. Norway and Denmark, I don't think, are having that issue. Okay, so here we go. Uh, the sense of belonging and other societal factors also play a major role. The U.S., for example, struggles with obesity, substance abuse, and other factors, despite significant economic growth. Well, they actually admit there's been significant economic growth, so that's good. Yes. You have You're, to be very delusional to say that there has been no economic growth over the past several years okay here we go your top 10 happiest countries in the world number 10 is australia number nine is sweden joe so you guess sweden uh number eight new zealand which is right next to australia number seven is canada it's not surprising no not surprising at all it's america except for their they don't hate each other exactly so uh, number six, the Netherlands. Number five is Switzerland. Number four is Iceland. Number three is Denmark. Ah. Number two is Norway, Andy. Mm. The number one happiest country in the world Finland? is Finland. Yeah. Exactly. So you guys were right. It was a Scandinavian country. They're the happiest. Um, but again, part of that happiness, you have to understand, at least in Norway, is the fact that the United States gave them the money to develop the oil industry. Oh, yeah. If they didn't have their oil, they would, yeah. Exactly. That's all. That's where all of their uh, success uh, comes from. Joe said, we could be doing that, but we're just not for some reason. No, we're not doing it. We, we, could, be, we could be pumping oil in North, uh, in North Dakota and ever, all over the United States, but no, we're not going to do no. that. Uh, so that's that. Uh, Joe's very upset because he thinks the Swedish bikini team should have made them the happiest country in the world. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard here. Tom Bernard here. If you're ready to sell your home, you've probably heard that you should wait until spring. But why wait for temperatures to rise when the market is hot right now? Not selling in winter is a total myth. Truth is, buyers are hungry. And while other sellers and real estate agents hibernate, the Chris Lindahl team is selling homes like hotcakes. Chris has done a great job. We have our house on the market with Chris right now, as a matter of fact. And the video he did is amazing. The Chris Lindahl team is America's number one REMAX results team for a reason. They play to win. And they've got the skilled players to sell your home fast. In fact, they sell a home on average every nine hours for over the MLS average. Don't wait until spring to sell your home. Call the Chris Lindahl team at 763-401-SOLD. That's 763-401-SOLD. The first two callers will get a free staging package. This is a huge value, and it's only going to the first two Tom Bernard Show callers from this ad. That's 763-401-SOLD. Call now, get the free staging package, and grab the opportunity before winter is over. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant. 
whatever it takes. Whether skies are gray or blue, any place on earth would do. Just as long as I'm with you, my happiness. Who is that? Connie Francis. Oh my God! I thought that's who it was, but I went, "That can't be Connie Francis." But that was wrong. Surprised your mom wasn't singing this one. Uh, it is. Oh, I'm sure she was. <laughs> what that concert? Any question about it. You have to have Connie tell you to pipe down. <laughs> <laughs> Gabriel Bateman, our guest is Gabriel with us. I don't. He didn't call uh, here. Oh, he didn't. He didn't call you either. No. Nope. Maybe we have a uh, oh, no show. Bad. Well, yeah, but I mean, he's probably got another minute because most of them don't call till the thirty-seven mark. So, if he does call in, I've got his information. So that's the that's the good news. I got his information here. If he does call in, we can take care of it, and life I'll will be grand. Let you know. Indeed. In the meantime, we've got all this positive news to cover. Honestly, God, I. I as I stated a couple of days ago, trying to keep the uh, the political talk off the morning show and off of this show as much as that, it's impossible to keep it completely off the shows. I will tell you that because almost every story is a political story. Uh, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It just, there you go. Well, see, now here we go. Here's a very positive story to build your life. So all we do is give, give, give on this show. It might not grant you eternal youth, but cycling, scientists have found, can slow the aging process and keep your muscles and immune system healthy well into your golden years. Aging, it turns out, can do a number on your muscles. Humans typically lose muscle mass as they get older. Fat and connective tissue also start invading, affecting the muscle's ability to contract. Furthermore, muscles can no longer suck up oxygen at the same rates. However, a new study questioned if these age-related muscle declines are inevitable or if regular exercise, cycling in this case, can slow down or even reverse them. I, you know, I don't believe in the reversing thing. I know a lot of people do, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Uh, however, a new study questioned if these age-related muscle declines are inevitable or if regular exercise can uh, reverse them. To figure this out, researchers at King's College in London biopsied the vastus lateralis muscle, the largest and most powerful part of the quad, in 125 male and female cyclists. Participants were all between the ages of 55 and 79 years of age and deemed highly active, meaning the men could bike at least 62 miles at 15 uh, miles per hour, and the women 37 miles at 7 miles per hour twice within three weeks. You know, I bet you most men could not bike 62 miles at 15 miles an hour. No. You think so? No. Yeah, I don't think they could either. Uh, the researchers then analyzed muscle properties related to aerobic function and explosive muscle power. They found that compared to sedentary populations, the, cycle, uh, the cyclists showed less age-related muscle deterioration. That is, at the tissue level, muscle mass and strength stayed intact. A second study turned the researchers' attention to the immune system, which can also decline as you age. Specifically, your thymus, the part of your body that produces white blood cells, begins to shrink. 
It then produces fewer cells, meaning your body gradually loses the ability to protect itself against disease. This trend, however, has been observed primarily in inactive populations, so the researchers wanted to see whether regular cycling could help prevent it. They compared blood samples from the same group of cyclists with blood 75 or older sedentary adults, 50 to 80, 57, excuse me, to 80, and 55 younger sedentary adults aged 20 to 36. They found that while cycling didn't protect against every single measure of immune system decline, the cyclists had white blood cell levels comparable to those of the younger control group, meaning that their immune systems were acting younger. So get off your ass and do some working out. Get a bicycle. Oh, yeah. A lot of people age because they basically do it on purpose. Well, God, I They're honestly, just like, I'm never going to do anything ever again. So basically, they they kill themselves. You think they do it on purpose, though? No. They don't know that it's that bad for them, but they do it anyway. You got to get up and move no. around. Sitting around watching TV is not going to get it done. Well, Tom, I wonder if they right? tested uh, your neighbor, the one you mistook for Catherine, the one that was going uphill and just oh, got away from my. you. Oh, my God. God, <laughs> Catherine and I are out biking one day last summer. I will never forget it. We're out biking one day last summer. She turned a corner where she was not visible. So then I caught up with her and followed her. And I was like, where the hell is she going now? You know, but I didn't yell or anything. I just kept following her. All of a sudden, I ended up about, oh, six, seven miles from our house. She pulls into this driveway and I find out it's a different person. <laughs> oh, God, was that him? And I went, where the hell are you going? And she looked, turns around and goes, what? <laughs> she was dressed exactly like Catherine, built exactly like Catherine. She must have been so scared. <laughs> I would imagine, thank God. Well, luckily she was up by the house, and I, I did not go up the driveway. Okay. I decided that was a bad idea. Is Gabriel on the phone? Uh-huh. Gabriel Bateman, how are you? Well, how are you? Marvelous. Things are good. We were just talking about, uh, how old are you, Gabriel? Uh, 13. Okay, 13. We were just talking about people who are 79 that can, can bicycle 62 miles at 15 miles an hour. Do you think you could do that, Gabriel? Sorry, you cut out a little bit. Can you oh. say that again? I, do you think you could bike 62 miles at 15 miles an hour? Uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> well, Gabriel, you better pick up the pace then because there, there are people in their 60s and 70s who can do that, so get to work. That's, that's amazing. I know, it is amazing. Benji will premiere on Netflix. You, pardon me, sir, what'd you say? I just said they probably trained for a while for it, though. Oh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Benji premiered uh, on Netflix on March 6th. Uh, it will premiere tomorrow night, right? Yes. I like it. Very Benji. I can understand why you'd be excited. Benji will premiere on Netflix on March 16th, tomorrow night. Uh, boy, you got all kinds of stuff going on. Gabriel, how many TV shows are you in? Um, I think I've been in a series regular in two, and um, overall I've probably been in like six, seven, just including co-stars and stuff. No, what, what, but right now I'm staring. No, go ahead. My fault, Gabriel. Uh, the one that I'm in that's airing right now, or it's going to air on March 30th, is Danger's Book. I think it's one. What, and, at, what, uh, at what age do you begin to act? Uh, nine. So I've been doing it for four years now. Four years. And, and you know, it's just something you wanted to do at nine years old? and uh, and or what? At what age did you decide, well, I want to be an actor? Seven. I was begging my mom to um, act for the longest time, and she wouldn't let me. 
And then we finally moved out to L.A., and um, I auditioned for a casting agency, and I just started going out for auditions, and here now, I guess. That's a wonderful story. You, so you, was there any one particular show or one particular actor around your age that inspired you? Uh, my older sister actually was acting for a while before I was, and that's what made me want to do it at first. Oh, I see. But after I actually started doing it, that's when I got really hooked. So now, does she, is she in, uh, in television as well as you? Um, she actually has recently taken a break from acting, but uh, she was for a while. Now, how old is she now? Um, 21. 21. 21. But so she probably will get back into it at some point. Is it, uh, Gabriel, it's probably, I don't think people understand how hard it is to shoot a series or a movie or something like that. It's a lot of work with long uh, hours, correct? Yeah, it is. Um, obviously, it's not as hard as some other jobs, but it's a lot harder than people think it is. Um, especially um, for child actors, because we have to do school on set. Uh, at least four hours a day, and get the nine hours of filming in. So it's pretty, um, it's pretty difficult. But uh, adult actors can work a lot longer. Yeah, it's amazing. It says you have four older brothers: Justin, Alec, uh, Noah, and Judah Bateman, and three older sisters: Hannah, uh, Leah, and is it Talitha? Is that how you say her name? Yeah, it's Talitha. Okay. Actually, no one pronounces it. I'm sorry, so it's very impressive. You're very impressed that I knew how to pronounce Talitha? No one knows how to pronounce it. <laughs> I'm the first one ever. I'm very, very... Well, tell me about about Benji. Uh, tell me about all, all you have going, The Dangerous Book for Boys. Tell me about these shows, if you would, Gabriel. Um, I'll start with Benji, and they're actually both about families um, that lost their father recently. But uh, Dangerous Book for Boys dwells on it more, and he left a book for his three sons. And the youngest son, who I play, White McKenna, it sparks his imagination, and he starts having all these crazy and wild fantasies to um, deal with things that he doesn't know how to deal with himself. And that's what the book's for. And, and Benji mm-hmm. is about um, a struggling family, and they find a dog. And when Carter and Frankie get kidnapped, uh, Benji saves the day. Now, from what I understand, The Dangerous Book for Boys was created by Brian Cranston, quite a successful, great actor himself. Yes, it was. There's that, uh, the original book is a guidebook, so there's no real plot. So Greg Mattal and Brian Panson came up with the story without any, um, without any plot from the book. And I was just like, how many hours a week do you work? I was looking at other things you have coming up. You work a lot. Well, uh, it depends because actors aren't always working. Mm-hmm. So if I am working, probably around, um, probably around like 32 hours a week or more. Uh, sorry, 48 hours a week or more. And um, if I'm not, well, obviously, I'm not going to be working. <laughs> if, you won't, if you won't put in the 48-hour week, you're not going to be working. Are you, uh, I mean, you're, you said you're 13 years old. Do you, do you understand the, I mean, at 13, you can understand the importance of what you're doing, the, the kind of things you're in, the dangerous book for boys, Benji. You understand how people watching these shows, it could help, it could help some people, right? Yeah, um, entertainment helps a lot of people, especially people who are struggling with something or having a hard time. Um, personally, it's helped me plenty of times, so yeah. So why are you so mature, do you think? Is it your mother and father, mother, father? Who, why are you so mature? Um, probably I grew up with eight older siblings, um, a lot of whom 
were adults when I was growing up, so I spent a lot of time around adults. Um, so I guess that. Did you do well in school? Thank you, by the way. Uh, I think for the most part, but it's it's not that hard for me, but I can get a little bit lazy and sometimes I fall behind. <laughs> but I think for the most part, yeah. Again, Benji premieres tomorrow uh, on Netflix and also the Amazon series Dangerous Book for Boys. That premieres on March 30th, as a matter of fact. So you got a lot of things coming up. But I'm very impressed with you, Gabriel. You you handle yourself very well. You do a good interview. You know what you're talking about. I think you understand how important it is what you're doing. And uh, congratulations. It sounds like you have a fantastic career going. You're doing a lot more than I did when I was 13. I'll tell you that, Gabriel. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. Thank you, Gabriel. Have a great day. Bye. Gabriel Bateman, what a smart kid. Yeah, when I first heard his voice, I was like, wait a minute. I wasn't <laughs> expecting to be 13. <laughs> yeah, same but here. I mean, Benji, I guess. The story, so it, it's literally, it's Benji, the Benji everyone knows about. It's the Benji the dog. Interesting. And being involved with something uh, created by Brian Cranston is probably not the worst idea in the yeah. world. Yeah. You know. But I was very impressed with a 13-year-old kid, and he said, yeah, I understand the importance of it. It's a lot of hard work, but uh, I just, it was very impressive, I thought, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to keep him too long. You probably say to yourself, well, why didn't you keep him on for the entire interview? When you interview kids, you probably don't want to keep them on the phone for longer than about six or seven minutes. Yeah. That tends to be about the, the cutoff point because it's... Yeah, I was rather restless at that age. Well, that's exactly that's the best way to put it. it. You're rather restless when you're 13 years old, but that's why I was saying, like I was saying, I was very impressed with uh, with how he handled that whole thing. You know, he just he did a really nice job with it. So, you know, Gabriel Bateman, ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow night, Benji on Netflix, March 30th, he will be on Amazon. The Brian Cranston created uh, dangerous book for boys. Again, Gabriel Bateman is his name. I thought the show today was very, very interesting. Had a lot of great guests on today. Thank you to all of our great guests today, as a matter of fact. Uh, wonderful topics, wonderful subjects. We even had the happiest place on earth. And it's not the United States. We're in 18th place. But Canada is in 7th, so that's good. We're close. But it seems like... Uh, isn't it interesting that most of the countries in the world that are the happiest have have the same kind of population. Yep. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Time to move it's to Helsinki. Yeah, they're all... Yes, we need to... Yeah, that's right. Move to Helsinki. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Tom Bernard Show.